Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You are entering the news vault from KCBS Radio. I have a tape recorder here in my hand. Now, nobody would think of doing that. The newsmen were blocking the door. It worked for a couple of seconds. Bringing the sounds of history back to life. Here is your host, Stan Bunger. I've been privileged on this podcast series to unearth and present the work of many of my colleagues and predecessors at KCBS. This time, it's a piece of work in which I was involved, and it dates to 1986. The backstory has to do with a Bay Area resident named Eddie Wienschenk. Eddie was a Nazi death camp survivor who spent many, many years going out to schools and other institutions and telling his story over and over again. His phrase, never again, of course, reverberated with anyone who'd ever heard the horrors he'd undergone. Eddie'd been a teenager growing up in Holland when he was taken by the Nazis and sent to the Birkenau-Auschwitz death camp, where many died, and he assumed he would, too. But the story has an interesting twist. One day, I got a phone call, one of many I would get from Eddie over the years, and he said he had a story for me. He thought perhaps I would like to hear from the people who had liberated his death camp. He had been asked to come and speak to a reunion of the 104th Infantry Division Timberwolves being held in the Bay Area, and you can imagine the emotional impact of him being able to say thank you to the people who, in 1945, had saved his life and those of the others who were dying in those Nazi death camps. I said, it's an interesting story. Maybe you can find somebody from the Timberwolves, from the 104th Infantry Division, to tell the American soldier's side of that liberation tale. And he did. Eddie came to the KCBS studios and brought with him a man named Bob Clark. Bob had been an Iowa farm boy, grown up, gone to college, working for Quaker Oats, wound up in the military, wound up as a battalion commander under Major General Terry De La Mesa Allen, who commanded the 104th Infantry Division. And history put him at the gates of that death camp in the winter of 1945. That's the story these two men told. My idea at the time was to simply let them tell their life stories leading up to that moment. And I'm still as proud of the work you'll hear in a moment as I was the day I did it. As a postscript, many years later, as I was taking a look at this report to see if it might be used again on an anniversary date of the liberation of those camps, I realized I needed to know what had ever happened to Colonel Clark. I knew that Eddie Wienschenk had passed away. He was well-known in the Bay Area, and his passing was newsworthy. But Bob Clark, I'd met that one time and never again. So I began an Internet search, and within one email, I had an email back from his daughter, Kathy, who is with the organization that has continued to keep the flame alive, the memory of the 104th Infantry Division Timberwolves. These are now the next generation and the generation after that, children and grandchildren and even some great-grandchildren of those men who fought in World War II. They call themselves now the Timberwolf Pups, and I was honored and flattered and rather embarrassed to be asked to come and tell this same story to their annual convention in New Orleans a few years ago. So here it is, as it was broadcast on KCBS in July of 1986, a piece entitled The Liberator and the Liberated. 
Eddie Wienschink lives in Burlingame now, but his accented speech bespeaks his youth in Holland. He was born in Amsterdam, a Jewish boy who spent his boyhood days playing soccer. But that boyhood ended early. My life, my normal life ended at, in 1940 when I was 12 years old, when the Germans invaded and occupied Holland. Did your family know right away that, that everything was going to be different? No, I remember my father said, uh, but regardless who's going to win the war, the Jewish people are going to lose the war. The war. It was also the biggest thing on the mind of a young Midwesterner named Bob Clark. He'd just gotten his college degree and a bride, too. Clark had gone to work for the Quaker Oats Company, where his manager thought it would be wise for Clark to volunteer for the Army and get his service out of the way. Almost by return mail, I had my orders for one year. And uh, Al and I had saved three weeks' leave, and I had, got, had my release papers. Uh, on the Sunday of Pearl Harbor, we were packing to return to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, leaving Tuesday morning. Needless to say, we didn't leave. <laughs> In Holland, Eddie Wienschenk was learning that his Jewishness mattered very much to the new rulers, the Nazis. We were not allowed to use public transportation, public schools. In other words, we were second-class citizens as best. But big signs all over the place, it was over whole Europe. Jews not allowed. You could not go to a barber or uh, a doctor or buy a loaf of bread if you... You were Jewish. Soon the Nazis tightened the screws. They came with trucks. They took away my brother on a stretcher. He was a handicapped person. My parents and myself, my sisters, went in hiding. That same night they took away my uh, married sister, her husband, and an eight-month-old baby. Wienschenk would become an orphan, tossed on the turbulent Nazi tide. I was fortunate I could say goodbye to my parents. Because that was in Holland, in Dutch concentration camp. Um, my mother hugged me, but she could not, not talk. My father said, you were young, you will survive, but I'm going to die. How he knew, I don't know. Winschenk was part of the flood of Jews being pushed to the east by the Nazis. They called it resettlement, but it was really nothing more than herding toward the busy death camps. And the ones who survived came back from hell and death. Did you know the killing was going on while no. it was going on? No. Not until you got there? That's correct. And where was the first camp where you saw it happen? Birkenau, that is also called Auschwitz II. I stayed there for a year. That is by itself is a miracle to survive Auschwitz-Birkenau. It's hard to say that a man who loses his entire family and his teenage years was lucky, but Eddie Winschenk lived. Sometimes there was no good reason. When we arrived in Auschwitz-Birkenau, there was a selection made there. The sick, the elderly, and the women children went on trucks, and the young men and women could walk, had to walk. So, uh... I was picked to walk. I went back to the German uh, murderer who made the selection who will live and who will die. And I asked him, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah, what do you want? Can I go on the trucks with the elderly, the sick, the women? He, said, he asked me, how old are you? I said, I'm 16. He said, no, you're young, you can walk. And short time later, we found out all the people in the trucks went right away to the death, went to the guest chamber. Meanwhile, Bob Clark had become a lieutenant colonel commanding a battalion of the 104th Infantry Division. That was a busy bunch of soldiers. We were not the first division to go over by any matter of means, nor were we the last to come back. But uh, once the division got in the line, we, were, we uh, never got out. We uh, first went in the line in Belgium, fought in Belgium and Holland for a short period of time, uh, primarily to uh, free the uh, port of Antwerp. And once that was accomplished, we were pulled down to Germany, and we, uh, we went from Aachen 
to Duran, to Cologne, and ended up just at Leipzig. Within a few miles of that city, Eddie Winschenk nearly died again. He'd been forced to march through the snow to a railroad loading station for a trip to another camp. He had to walk uh, five in a row. If you couldn't walk, you were shot. Thousands of people were shot. Only rags, no food, nothing to drink, nothing to eat, only snow. Winschenk wound up in the Dora concentration camp where Nazi scientists used slave labor to build the V-1 and V-2 rockets. Because of frostbite suffered on that death march, Winschenk traded his toes for his life. They said, sit down, and the pair of scissors, and they cut off my, my toes. I didn't feel anything. But thanks to the my amputations, I didn't have to work in the underground factories. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here. By now, the 104th Infantry had hooked up with the mechanized 3rd Armored Division and was rolling quickly across Germany. But Clark says they were after the German army, not really after Eddie Winschank and the others in the camp. I had not been told of these camps. I was not aware of them. Perhaps there was some r talk or rumors, but um, uh, we were too busy with our hour-to-hour, uh, day-to-day fighting, you know, to uh, get much thought to it. When we return, the liberation of Eddie Winschank. As they talk now, Eddie Winschenk and Bob Clark sit across from each other, remembering the day that matters the most to prisoner of war Winschenk, but was just another day of the war to Lieutenant Colonel Clark. It was April 11, 1945, when a tank carrying men from Clark's division rumbled into the Dora concentration camp where Winschenk was dying. I went somehow down from, from the, the bunk. I could not walk because I was 70 pounds, but by feet. I only had toilet paper around my amputations. And so I actually crawled on my knees with my feet up high because my, I, I could not take the risk that my feet would touch the floor. So I, I crawled to a window and then I saw an American tank and some soldiers. We were too busy with our own uh, immediate fighting to um, worry too much about a concentration camp. It's almost as if a mirror had been held up to the emotions that day. You'd think Eddie Winschenk would have been jubilant. I was free, I was liberated, I never had any feelings of joy. I have no tears from, from happiness. I didn't have any feelings at all. Everything was frozen. And Clark saw the same thing in another camp nearby. It was like a large barn, and there were bunks ten high on all four sides of the barn, and uh, when a few of us went in, why, uh, there were people, uh, some in the bunks, men, women, and as I remember, there might have even been some children. Uh, but they were, uh, as I say, out of it, and they didn't even pay any attention to us. And here we were freeing them of all the troubles they'd been, been through, and they didn't even recognize us. But while the prisoners showed their blank faces, the Americans sobbed and cursed. They were angry. Uh, they were trained to fight soldiers. They were not trained or prepared to face uh, human beings who were skeletons, who were dying, who were uh, mishandled, you, you would not even an, an animal mishandled that way. And the soldiers lashed out. Clark recalls his men stopping a young German on the road. My men quickly stopped him and rolled up his sleeve and saw the SS tattooed on him. And uh, they took him up to a, in a barn. In a few minutes I heard a few shots. 
Uh, I could have stopped it, but uh, I had no desire to. And uh, I, I know that happened uh, more and more as, as the war went on. It came from the same anger Eddie Wienschenk still feels. The crimes they committed against humanity is... I can never forgive nor forget. I can never forgive him. Now it is 1986. Wienschenk and Clark are growing older, their lives still cemented by the knowledge that one is alive because the other got there in time. They share another irony of war, but for the atomic bombing of Japan, Wienschenk might never have met his wife and Clark might never have come home. Mary Ann Wienschenk was then a girl dying in a Japanese concentration camp and Bob Clark's unit was being ready to launch what would surely have been a horribly bloody invasion of the Japanese mainland. But the bombs ended it all. And this weekend, Eddie Wienschenk will stand up in front of hundreds of 104th Infantry Division veterans at their meeting on the peninsula and say, thank you for saving my life. My whole body aches already. I'm in tremendous emotional state of mind because it is a unique historical event in, for me and I'm sure for Bob and all his men and for the women. Because after 41 years, you're going to meet the people who saved your life, not for the survivors, uh, but for the liberators. Let them tell the stories. Let them tell what they saw and smelled. Let them open up the other side of the electric barbed wire. Not for us anymore, but for our children. Stan Bunger, News 74, KCBS. Remember to follow the News Vault from KCBS Radio on social media. On Facebook, we're at News Vault Podcast. On Twitter, find us at News Vault SF. On Instagram, we're at News Vault. Until our next episode, you are leaving the News Vault from KCBS Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.